In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today in the Gospel reading, uh, we read about the story of the calling of Levi, who is Matthew, uh, to be an apostle, to be an evangelist, um, one of the most famous characters because he wrote one of the four Gospels. And we see that he started out as a simple man who was a tax collector, and tax collectors had a bad reputation. Um, and um, that's why when uh, Christ called him and Levi held a feast with for him, all of his other tax collector friends, they were all sinners. And when the Pharisees saw that Christ ate and sat with these tax collectors, they rebuked him, and Christ responded and said, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And this is something that should be very comforting to us because sometimes we feel like we, we, we always feel like we are lacking. We always feel like we haven't done enough. We always feel like, like there's something more that could be done that I haven't done or that there are things we know we should be doing that for one reason or another, we are not doing. We are slack. We are lazy. We are tired. We are distracted. We are, we are weak. And the idea that Christ came not to call the righteous, but sinners, is something that should bring comfort to all of our hearts, that Christ is coming for us, right? We are those tax collectors. We are those people sitting around that table that Christ came and he called them. We are like Levi, who is working in a profession that is very worldly, and Christ is coming to call him to be an apostle. So every time we see Christ reaching and calling out to someone who is a sinner, it should bring us comfort. See, it's, it tells us something about the God that we worship. He is not a God who simply wants to exalt the righteous. He, even though we look to the righteous, of course, as models, and of course, Christ is the true model of righteousness that we want to emulate and imitate and be like him, be transformed to be like him. But while we are still in that struggle, we lack and we suffer and we struggle to be that. So Christ here, he made um, an invitation. And he made this invitation not only to Levi, but he made the invitation to everyone who was present at that feast. All those sinners, all those tax collectors, all those friends of Levi that he had invited to this feast with Christ. He made an invitation and, and he invites us because we are there with him. We are there with him at this feast, right? Because we are sinners. And the very presence of Christ actually calls us to repentance. His very presence, even, even without opening his mouth, even without saying a word. Here in this story, we don't hear about Christ giving a sermon. We don't hear him, about him saying anything, you know, to these people. It was simply his presence there at the feast that convicts us of sin. It is that it is his presence that draws us to him. It is not because of any necessarily any specific word that he said. And so a relationship with God is a constant invitation. Every morning when we wake up, there is an invitation. Christ is saying, come to me. Remember me this day, right? Uh, follow my commandments this day. Trust in me this day. Have hope in me this day. And, and one of the most beautiful um, images that we have about the invitation of Christ that we read about in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, when it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Right? This image of Christ at our door, 
right? We are the ones that have closed the door, right? And he is knocking, 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 reminding us to open the door for him. And it's a constant invitation. Open the door, open the door, open the door. And he does not depart, right? Because he wants the door to be open, right? He calls us to come closer. And so he's always inviting us. And so we always should be responding to him all the time, okay? So this is what we said. Sinners are invited, right? So what are we invited to do, right? We say this is an invitation. Christ is inviting us, right? What is he inviting us to do? Okay, there are several things. One thing Christ invites us to do is to repent, right? One of the most fundamental things. Christ accepts everyone, but he doesn't want us to stay as we are. And that is something very fundamental about Christianity, something very fundamental about the faith. Christ wants everyone as they are, but he doesn't want them to stay as they are, right? And actually, they cannot stay as they are. Like when we are in the presence of Christ, we cannot stay as we are. The, 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 the love of God, the power of God, the holiness of God demands that we change. It demands. And I don't mean demand like in a, in a, in like a harsh way. Simply by the presence of Christ, we must change. So if we are truly answering the call and the invitation of Christ, then we must repent. And that's what he said. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He didn't just say, I want to go hang out with sinners. I like sinners a lot. I want to go be with them. No, he went to the sinners and he loves the sinners. But for what goal and for what purpose? The purpose is repentance. Okay. So the, the Pharisees were complaining against Christ because he dined with these sinners. Okay. They did not follow the law. They were thieves and liars. Why is it this man, Jesus of Nazareth, if he was truly a prophet and a righteous man, why would he go and dine with these people? Okay. And so they considered that, that simply being with them discredited him. He could not be who he says he is. He could not be this holy man of God simply because of the, of the company that he kept and the people that he was with. Okay. So here Christ is reminding us that he did not come to make appearances, right? He did not come to, 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 you know, to put on a show to be politically correct. He did, he did not, he did not come to, to appease any group of people. Okay. He came because he wanted us to be holy just as he is holy. Right. And so his presence transforms. So when we are called by Christ, we are called to live a life of repentance. Right. And that's one of the most fundamental things as Orthodox Christians is that we are called to repent. Even if we don't know, even if we don't understand, even if we find that the, you know, the Orthodox faith is complicated and there's a lot of stuff involved in it and it's difficult to understand and theology and all this stuff. Even if we don't understand all of that as much as we should, but we should at least live a life of repentance, right? Because truly that is where God is found. He is found in the repentant heart. Someone who wants to go do right, wants to do good. All of the other knowledge, everything else that I might attain about the faith, if I do not have a heart of repentance, then it's all for nothing, right? The Pharisees had unbelievable theological knowledge, right? The Pharisees had, you know, their histories and their traditions and, and understood all the scriptures and everything, but they didn't have that heart of repentance. And what good did it do for them? The harlots and the thieves and the tax collectors, they didn't have any of that knowledge that the Pharisees had. 
but they have that heart of repentance. And so then they entered into that relationship with Christ. And at that point, they began to learn and to grow and to gain and all of that. But, but without that heart of repentance, it's all superficial. It's all just from the outside, right? And we don't need in the world yet another philosophy. We don't need yet another theory. We don't need yet another, like, uh, you know, like, like human uh, philosophy where we talk about ideas and we talk about theories and we talk about this and this. We need in the world truly power. We need something that really demonstrates the power of our faith, not just words, right? And that can be found in repentance. When people see that I choose to change my life, that I have received from God the power to change, when I have a different outlook, right? This is truly brings people to the faith much more than words. He also invited us to find healing because he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So those people that he called, those people who are sinners are sick. This is what he said, okay? These sinners are broken, okay? They are broken. We are broken by sin. Sin breaks us because sin is a barrier, a separator, right? That separates us from our father, separates us from God. And God is the only one that brings healing, that brings balance, that brings life, that brings wholeness, that brings holiness. He's the one who makes us to be fully human. The, the humanity that God created in Adam and Eve the humanity that God wants us to be can only exist when we are in the presence of God. The humanity that we see of corruption, of wickedness, of lies, of deception, of, of sin that we see in the world today, this is not humanity. This is corruption. This is the corruption of humanity that God had originally made. For us to be truly human beings, okay, Right? then we must be restored to God again and to live according to how God made us. Okay, So in order for us in this process of repentance that God is calling us for, we find that we have a lot of brokenness. Right, um, We have you know, a lot of things that we have to deal with in our past. We have a lot of mistakes that we've made. We have a lot of regrets. We might have bad reputations that we've developed over time. Um, maybe I feel like I'm trapped in a life of sin, and that even though I want to repent, I feel like I don't know how to repent or where to begin, or that if it's even possible for me to change my life, and there might seem to be no way out, and there is emotional and psychological effects, guilt, poor, poor self-image, they might take a toll on us, right? So Christ is calling us to discover that we are indeed valuable in his eyes, right? This is more than just I repent of my sins in the sense that, okay, the bad stuff that I'm doing, I promise not to do it again. There is more to this than simply changing our actions because God is not just wanting us to offer him pure actions. He wants us as a whole. He wants us to see that we are valuable in his eyes. The reason he came and he died for us was because we are valuable in his eyes. Why would anyone, you know, sacrifice themselves for something unless it was truly truly valuable you know truly valuable right so so we look at ourselves with a sense of maybe self-loathing sometimes hatred sometimes you know a lot of times people who are very serious about repentance and 
you know, they, they, they look so much at their lives and they feel so bad about who they are. There's a difference between mourning for our sins and being really sincere in repentance versus self-loathing versus self-hatred that I hate who I am, that I feel like I will never grow and I will, I'm not valuable. No, actually God made it very clear that we are valuable. Those um, tax collectors that he sat with on the table, they were valuable, right? The people even that crucified him were valuable in his eyes. When he asked the father, he said, father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing, right? They were valuable to him, okay? So in Christ, not only are we, are we finding holiness, but we're finding restoration. We're finding healing and, 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 and that all of the brokenness can, can, can be healed, right? He wants us to be restored fully as human beings, not living in fear, regret, self-loathing, sin. He wants us to be whole, to understand ourselves as, as he sees us, to see ourselves as he sees us. That is the second thing he's inviting us to, is to find healing. The third is to be a guest at his table, okay? So again, we read about this feast, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them, and their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So the relationship that we have with Christ is an intimate relationship. And, you know, when you think of I'm sitting to have a meal with someone, right? This is an intimate setting, right? It's not a distant setting. It's not something from far away. It's not like I just hear about someone or somebody hears about me or reads about me or I read about them. We are in contact, in close contact with one another, right? Christ does not want to be a God from a distance. You know, there's a, there's a belief system called deism. In deism, people believe in God, but they believe that he is a distant God. He is only distant. He is a creator. Um, he, he created everything, and he kind of set everything in motion, and then he took a step back, and he left it all to be as it is, right? Governed by its own internal laws, God does not intervene or intercede or do anything. He doesn't enter into this world, right, after he created it. This is deism. This is not what we believe. Okay? We believe that God is intimately interacting with us right, all the time. He wants to be close to us. He wants to be a friend to us. And so when, when he instituted the sacrament of communion, okay, the Eucharist, in the upper room on Covenant Thursday, what did he create? You know, God could have made many different ways for us to have salvation. You know, like he could have done anything he wants. He could have done anything and said, well, this is the means. Do this, and, you, and this is the means of, of attaining salvation, right? But what did he do? He said, you must consume me. You must eat me. I must enter into you, and it is through this that we are in communion that you have salvation, right? Our salvation is to be in union with Christ. This is what it means, right? We are in union with Christ, and so through him, we have salvation, okay? It is not just some power that he bestows on us. It's not just something that he, you know, does from a distance. No, it is, it is the most intimate thing you can, you can imagine, that we take him into our bodies, right? What closer relationship can there be, right? Our salvation is through this, eating of him. And he said, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, that you have no life. We abide in him 
we have life. We are away from him, we don't have life because he is the source of life. So think about like, like how much God values us and how much he loves us. Even though we are sinners, God wants to be in union, in union with us. Like, like imagine that you meet someone who you kind of find abhorrent. You know, like maybe they're really smelly. Uh, maybe they are, you know, they, they have disgusting habits. They're strangers. They, 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 you know, that's who they are, right? We don't even want to get close to that person. You know, like if you ever met someone where you just kind of want to keep your distance away from them, you feel like this person, like not only can I not talk to them, I can't even bear to smell them. Like this is, this is the kind of like, like imagine, imagine that that's like typifying sin. Okay, like in the eyes of God, you have this person who is abhorrent, right? Who's a sinner, who's wicked. God is saying, I want to not only be close to that person, I want to be in union with that person. Like that's how much God loves and that's how little we deserve love, right? I didn't do anything to deserve the love of God. And yet he is calling me to have this close, intimate relationship with him. And he is calling us again, this invitation is an invitation not that first we must go and clean up first we must go take a shower first we must go do this and then god is willing to be in communion no he wants to be in communion with us while we are in that state that is what it means he said while we were still sinners christ died for us while we were still sinners before we cleaned up before we changed anything before we became respectable that is when christ died for us christ he, he washed the feet of the disciples. Their feet were dirty, right? He is the one who made them clean, right? Christ becomes in union with us and it's through his union that we become clean, right? And that is what the sacraments are about, right? So this is a fundamental restoration, healing, change that happens inside of us through a very intimate relationship with God. He also calls us, invites us to follow him. Right? He wants us to change our course of life, change the direction of our life. For Levi, it says, after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. Right? He's going to Levi, who has a certain career. You know, Levi that day, he had certain plans. He had certain things he was thinking of. He had plans for the future, I'm sure. He was had this tax office. That's the way he made his money, Right? And like many tax collectors, most likely he wasn't on the up and up, you know, all tax collectors, the way they made their money was essentially by, by, you know, uh, charging people more tax than they should and keeping the tax for themselves. That's, that, that's what tax collection was at the time. Okay. So, so here Christ is going to this man into his office, into his work. All right. And he's telling him, leave everything behind. Don't, don't even worry about this stuff anymore. Don't worry about your career anymore. Don't worry about how you're going to make money or how you're going to survive or anything. Just leave it all behind and come and follow me. Okay. This is an extreme, you know, like who of us could accept something like this? We know other people like the rich young ruler rejected this. When Christ told him, go sell all that you have and come and follow me. He says, I can't do it. He walked away, right? He couldn't do it. Here, Levi did it. Right. And it's so simple, like it's just a single verse. We kind of like take it for granted, like how, how oh, OK. Yeah. He just went and followed him. Imagine yourself in his position. Right. This is what Christ is calling us to do. Christ is calling us to disconnect from all of the attachments in the world, 
doesn't mean that he's asking us to quit our jobs. But what he's saying is that even while you live in the world, do not be part of the world system, right? You are physically here, right? But you are not loving this place. This place is not my home. I don't look at it with, with eyes of, of longing. I don't look at this place, at this world, like with a desire to remain here, right? It doesn't mean that I'm like suicidal. No, it means that I, I do not, this place, I do not consider my home. I'm, I'm traveling, right? This place is, is a waypoint on my way to my final destination, okay? So in order for me to continue this travel, in order for me to see that I'm traveling, to become a disciple of Christ, that I would follow him. Right? Again, he's saying, I am coming to you, I'm washing your feet, I'm healing you, I'm, 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 I'm cleaning you up, I'm doing all of this. Come and follow me. Continue this path with me. It's not just about a one-time invitation. It's not just about a one-time meal. It's not just about a, a one-time healing. It's a lifelong process of healing, of, of, of growing, right? of changing. So in order for us to have this, we must continue to to, to follow him, right? It's not just a single encounter. So how should we answer this invitation that Christ gives to us? The first is he called us to a leave all, right? He's, what did Levi do when Christ said, follow me? He, it says, so he left all, rose up and followed him, right? He did not cling to his old life, but he completely embraced the new one. And many people that join the church and they get baptized, they go through this process, where at the beginning, when they, when they get baptized, they're thinking more about, okay, like I'm learning facts about the church. I'm learning the history of the church. I'm learning about the things I need to do. I'm reading the Bible more, okay? And I'm getting baptized, okay, the details of the baptism. And now I'm baptized and now I take communion and I come to the church more regularly and so on, okay? But after some period of time, right, for someone who is sincere in their walk, and sincere in their faith, what begins to happen is they begin to feel uncomfortable with some things in their own life, right? Uh, habits, places that they go, people that they have relationships with, things that they've done. They begin to feel uncomfortable with things in their life that is now incompatible with this new life that they have accepted, right? And so there starts to become this tension between this new life and my old life right? And this is very normal and natural and must be because it is through this process that we begin to leave behind. We begin to leave behind the things that for us used to be comfort, for us used to be joy, for us used to be pleasant, right? Those things that used to be for us pleasant, we begin to leave them behind because now they are not fitting anymore for me. They don't, they don't fit my life anymore. They don't, they don't work anymore, right? They are now contrary and contradicting to my faith, to my belief, right? Um, again, like Lot's wife, Lot's wife who, you know, looked back as they were departing from Sodom because she, she didn't want to leave her home behind, right? And she turned into a pillar of salt because she was still attached to sin. She was still attached in a symbolic way, like the city of Sodom representing sin. She was still attached to it, right? That's why she could not continue. So that's... That's the first way we should answer an invitation. I am, I'm not just answering an invitation and integrating this somehow into my life. I'm not taking my newfound faith and saying, okay, I'm just going to take my old routine 
and I'm going to inject into it. Now I go to church on Sundays and maybe I listen to a sermon or a Bible study once a week. And that's now the life. I just took my existing life and I added something to it. That's not how it works, right? Christ is not saying, I want you to add going to church to your life. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, I am completely transforming my life. My life is being transformed by Christ, right? So it's not just that I'm adding a few steps and a few actions to my life. I am completely different. I'm, I'm, I'm completely changing. And this process takes time. Um, how else should we answer the invitation? We should host him. We should host Christ in our own homes, right? Levi, it says Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, right? The place, one of the places that we spend most of our time is our home, right? Um, it's one thing for us to go to church because we know that church is a holy place and in church we act a certain way and in church we dress a certain way, we talk a certain way, we do certain things, right? That's, that's church, right? And, and so uh, there's an expectation and understanding that when we go to church, certain things happen and certain things don't happen. Okay. But what about my home? Okay. Home is where I spend most of my time. Home is a reflection of me. The things that I do in my home, the things that I, that I have in my home, the people that I have in my home, the things that I watch in my home, this is a reflection of me. Okay. So the invitation should be one where I'm bringing Christ, you know, not, not just that I'm going to his house once a week, but that I'm bringing Christ to my house, right? And so Christ is with me in my house. Christ is with me in my, in my routine, right? That I make place for him, right? That I have a place where I pray to him, that I am reading his word in my house, that I am, I am conforming my life to his will, right? And as much as I'm able, conforming my life to his will. And I begin to inject Christ in every aspect of my life. Again, I am not simply a Christian on Sunday. The Christianity enters into my daily life and begins to change everything about my life. You know, like, you know, when, you know, uh, we talked about Halloween last year for, for, for Halloween, and we talked about how it is not fitting for Christians to practice Halloween. And we explain why, you know, that's an example. It's like I'm taking my, my beliefs and I'm now changing my life as a result of my beliefs. Something that maybe I was practicing, I stopped practicing. It's things that I was not doing, I begin to do, right? It's a transformation. I'm hosting Christ in my home. The third way to answer this invitation is to be renewed, right? And this is what it means in... The, the, the last part in the parable that Christ said about the wineskins. Said, he said what? No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. Okay, what is he talking about the wineskins? The old wineskin represents like the old way of thinking, right? Like the old nature, like the corrupted nature, the old way. And so if we take a new like a new piece of wineskin, okay? And we sew it on the old wineskin, right? The wineskin is like a container, like a, like a leather container that you would pour wine into it, okay? And because it's like a leather container, it would like expand, you know, like over time, like it, it would change. So if you needed to patch up an old wineskin and you took a new piece of, of uh, sorry, and you, and you put like a, 
a new garment, like a new piece of the wineskin and patch the old one, the, the characteristics of the new one don't match the old one. And so it would end up stretching out and tearing and all the wine would be spilled out. Okay. So what he was saying was what? You can't take the new ideas. You can't take this new covenant. You can't take this new uh, man, this new way of life, this new transformed life that, off, that Christ is offering us and simply patching the old life. Like saying, I'm going to keep the old life, but I'm just going to make small little modifications to it because it's not going to work. That's what he's saying. Right. You have to if you're going to have new wine, which is the new faith, which is the new ideas, which is the new transformed life. You have to put that into a new wineskin, completely new. It's not just a, a transformed version. Of, it's, it's not just like a modified version of the old. It's not just like a tweaked version of the old. It's a completely new one. Right. And that's what we receive in baptism is when we are baptized, our old nature dies and we come up new. Right. New. Able to receive now the word of God in a fresh way, able to practice it, able to put it into real effect in my life. So we should have this new mindset, the new man, the renewal, right? We are completely renewed uh, again. Sorry. Um, so uh, this is the third thing, how we should answer the invitation. We should answer with an expectation that we are bringing a, a, a brand new, like this is completely different than before. I'm not just trying to tweak what came before. I'm offering myself for a complete, complete transformation. And this is, should be our expectation as Christians, is I'm saying I'm willing to surrender everything. I'm willing to give everything. I'm willing to put at the feet of Christ absolutely everything that I am to give it to him so that he can make it holy, right? And whatever is unholy to be cut out. And whatever is holy to adopt and to accept. This is what we're saying. It's a new life. I am a new person, right? In Christ, not just a, a small modification to the old. The last is we should not go back to the old again. Okay. In, in that same parable, uh, he says what? And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new. For he says the old is better. What does that mean? It means someone who is trying to accept this new life doesn't mean that they're all like you flip a switch and now suddenly everything about the new life is great and everything about the old life is really bad. I don't want it anymore. That's not how it works. We still will long for, there will be times where we long for the old. There'll be times when, when the sin of the old life seems attractive, right? And that's what he's saying is someone who has drunk the old wine someone who has become addicted to something, someone who has developed bad habits, it is not so easy to break. And there will be times where we long for those things again, okay? So in order for us to truly answer this invitation, we must struggle not to return to what we have left, which requires that we are very disciplined in the way that we live, you know? And again, speaking about um, the process that people go through after baptism, a lot of times people will have uh, friends from their old life, friends that used to be great for them. I mean, they, they enjoyed being with them. They shared a lot of the same interests and they did the same activities and things. But then after again, like going through this transformation, after adopting this new faith, they begin to feel like maybe some of the things that these friends are doing are not really compatible with, with, with what the way they want to live. It's still attractive, though. 
okay? And so there's the struggle that happens and maybe I need to decide to let these friends go. Maybe these friends, I cannot be their friends anymore, right? But it's a difficult choice. It's a difficult decision because I'm still tasting the old, right? And, and letting go completely of the old is a difficult thing for me to do. So today we spoke about this invitation that Christ wants to offer us just as he offered it to Levi and that we are called just as Levi, to leave behind the old life, to accept the new with repentance, to be healed, to be a guest at his table, to follow him, and that we are called to leave everything behind, to host him at our homes, to be renewed, and finally to separate ourselves from any old influences that might be a hindrance or a stumbling block to us. So may God grant us that we would be able to accept this invitation with a new heart, with rejoicing so that we are not remain stagnant and staying in the old life, um, unable to grow spiritually in him. And glory be to God forever. Amen.